Hi there, folks. Welcome back to Perpetual Outsider. This is the podcast for Horror Fang Rock. Uh, my name is John Bensalia. Thank you for uh, taking the time to listen. So without further ado, let's get straight into the fourth and final part of this classic. Counting down. Five, four, three, two, one, go. I command you. Yes. Still a bit slow on the uptake these DVDs. So, story so far. Palmerdale's entourage are getting bumped off by a mysterious force, including Palmerdale himself and Harker. And the Doctor realises to his horror that he's actually locked the alien inside the lighthouse with them rather than out. So things are not going too well, really, <laughs> to put it mildly. Here we go with the, with the reprise. Um, this was the clip taken from uh, the Tom Baker News video. Um... And I remember watching it and thinking, wow, out of all the stories that I want to see next, it has to be this one because it was, you know, it, it just looked really, really good. And it looked like it would live up to the uh, the promise of the book that I read. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's the clip that includes um, Vince's Untimely Demise, which is about to uh, come up now. <clears throat> Chameleon, I still don't know why we say Chameleon. I mean, Culture Club would have a field day singing Karma Chameleon. <clears throat> Here we go. Yeah, this this is a this is a great moment actually. It's a real bit of horror the way uh, Vince is so oblivious to the fact that he's just about to meet his meet his killer. The way he thinks that Ruben is uh, Dudley scores it really well. Oh dear. Yeah, John, John Abbott plays it brilliantly, the way he just suddenly goes from friendly to kind of unsure to absolute terror now. Oh dear. Poor old Vince. Yeah, I'm sure that is um, Ralph Watson's scream that they, they would dubbed it. Um, I don't know, I, I could be wrong. Maybe he just copied it. Maybe everybody goes, ah, ah, like that. Maybe, uh, maybe he talked to people to do that i don't know maybe they should have like um like mr scream from wayne's world 2 maybe as a like a screen coach or something so that they could go <laughs> like that so yeah i mean th this is this of course is the story um in which everybody's bumped off um, it's probably the one that would give Stephen Moffat screaming abdabs because he doesn't like that because he thinks everybody lives. Um, the amount of times that everybody lives in a Moffat era Doctor Who, or even a non-Moffat era Doctor Who, actually, he actually suggested, um, yep, actually breaking off on that train of thought. Um, Louise Jameson looks like she's visibly corpsing on camera. I think apparently Tom Baker was uh, pulling silly faces uh, at her off screen. So obviously their relationship had improved by uh, enough for uh, for her to be laughing and him to be pulling funny faces at her. Um, anyway, yeah, Stephen Moffat and everybody lives. What is all that about? I mean, Doctor Who, it's a show with lots of peril, lots of jeopardy. And part of that is the show, unfortunately, like it or not, people getting bumped off in various grisly ways. You know, it, it adds to the, the dramatic stakes at play. And if you don't have that, A, it's really boring. 
And B, um, if you show like characters getting bumped off and then coming back to life because quotation marks, everybody lives, it's I think it's actually more damaging for kids watching, I think. Um, because, I mean, say that, you know, a youngster watching Doctor Who sees a Mother-era episode in which that happens, uh, and say that, you know, their pet croaks it, or worse still, a friend or a family member croaks it, and they'll say, oh, well, why don't they come to lo- back to life like they did in Doctor Who? I think that is far more unhealthy an attitude to have, and I think it's just wrong on so many levels. Um, and, yeah, e- even on a basic level, it's just it just results in really emasculated drama. It's just, you know, I can't tell you how many times I was disappointed at the, you know, the lack of scary death in Moffat Era Who. It was just disappointing. Oh, poor old Adelaide faints. Yeah, look at Palmerdale's hands. Oh, bloody. Uh, certain things you don't notice. Uh, and of course, you know, Ruben's got a collection of dirty postcards, though. The old devil. <laughs> yeah, great music from Dudley here. And the lighting as well, it, it is uh, it is Bob Gell uh, that I read on the credits. It wasn't David. David Hughes did the sound. That's that's not a bad shot, actually, the doctor hanging onto the um the window ledge. That's actually quite good. Yeah, the CSO in this is is not that bad at all. I mean, it's uh, not as obvious as it is in, say, Underworld, which was later in the season. Uh, but, it, but even the having said that, even Underworld wasn't anywhere near as bad as I expected it to be, CSO wise. Anyway, that's well, that's for another time. Uh oh, I think a certain grinning alien is about to enter the room. Here he comes with that horrible grin. Oh dear. It's really kicking off now, isn't it? It's uh, it's it's a wonderful last part actually, really. Really action packed. I th- I think you know, for me, I think it's actually one of the best last episodes they've actually ever done. Oh Doctor Finding the uh Mognal Sigulator signal modulator. <laughs> This bit's, next bit is brutal, the way it just suddenly starts so abruptly with Adelaide screaming. Ooh, nasty. <laughs> but it's putting into a screaming once and for all. I mean, I presume that she's kind of pulled into um, the root into magnetic field, the way she kind of screams and then suddenly is pulled backwards into the root, I think, and then it just electrocutes her through the head. Which is uh, probably not a very pleasant way to go, really. <clears throat> so yeah, Skin Sale is the um, the last man standing out of the, out of all the characters, supporting characters, of course. Uh, and even Ruben the Rooster is about to disappear in a blaze of um, green video effect trickery. Shame he couldn't have spoken in a more alien voice there, but you know, there you go. Here he goes. Yeah, they used to do that kind of howl around effect on top of the pops a lot. You know, they were kind of ghosty image of, you know, saying, I don't know, um, whatever pop tap. I, I can't think of any pop hacks on off the top of my head, but they used to do it a lot on top of the pop 
perhaps in the mid-70s for that ghosting of various images. Yeah, I like, I like the way that, you know, Skin Sale is mourning things, but Lila is just like, yeah, whatever, there's nothing we can do for him now, you know. <laughs> very practical, you know, it's a very practical attitude to have. What is that in there? It looks like, I don't know, Jaws and Marmalade or something? I've always explosives. Yeah, the, the roots in these, um, yeah, could, could be better. I mean, it just looks like a giant boiled sweet. <clears throat> but um, I, mercifully, Paddy Russell actually cuts between that and the, the, PO, the uh, video effects POV shot of the Doctor. You know, it's uh, it's great distorted vision, actually. You know, like I said, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a robot POV, except the middle bit is black and white. But they've done the same bit with it, it. Kind of, it's hard to describe. It kind of looks like a very bad, fuzzy TV image, I suppose. You know, they kind of they use video distortion just to kind of you know sort of highlight certain areas. But it it, it looks great. And then you've got this kind of weird video effects bubble around it. Um, bordering the uh, the centre bit, which is the main eye. I don't know, I, I suppose Rudin have just got one eyeball, I suppose. It's got one uh, one all-seeing vision, I guess. Maybe it's maybe it's related to around the Jabber. But of course, here you get the uh, the backstory about Rudin being uh, the rival race of the, the Sontarans, which is actually a nice bookend with the concluding story of the season, which is the invasion of time when the Sontarans come back. So it's a, yeah, it's, it's a nice throwback actually. But I'm just wondering how they can do Basil. I suppose if the Sontaran is coming at him with a you know gravity bar or whatever, or um, you know one of his uh, one of his guns, the um, the Rutan can just electrocute them just you know with a, one flick of a tentacle really. <laughs> Failed. I mean, there's something to be said for Doctor Who, isn't it? I, I don't think in many other many other TV shows could you get the main character just chinwagging casually on the steps of a lighthouse talking military uh, tactics with a green ball. I mean, there's, there's not many other shows that I know that do that sort of thing. It's just a very casual kind of chinwag, isn't it? Mm, well, I think a few um, few explosives in those marmalade jars could um, could actually help. Yeah, I do wonder what they're going to do with the Blu-ray of this, um, because the 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 special the original special features on the DVD are pretty minimal um apart from the commentary you've only got the uh, the paddy russell documentary and you've got a bizarre antiques roadshow film. um yeah the antiques doctor who show, I, don't, I don't think it's actually the antiques roadshow um and of course you've got a tribute to uncle terence as well which is which is quite good um i do, I do think it's ironic with a certain writer is on there um, who was very famous for criticising Terror of the Autons, which was, you know, the bog standard, you know, and not not just Terror of the Autons, 
kind of like the uh, the approach taken in the third Doctor's era. And then he's suddenly praising him in in the documentary, Cheryl and Names. I, I just think it's um, yeah, a bit ironic to say the least. Um, yeah, best say no more about that. <clears throat> but yeah, I, I think they could do with, you know, a making of, but I, I don't, you know, not sure if they've really got enough of the other cast and crew alive, really. It's, it's great about the, the resolution of Horror of Fangrock, I think is really well done, because the Doctor doesn't just wave a sonic screwdriver around. He actually has to use his wits and he has to use all the resources that they've got, you know, and it's worked out so brilliantly. You know, all the clues, you've got um, Palmerdale's diamonds, you've got lamp itself. It's a way of, you know, it's the perfect way of knocking out uh, the Root and Mothership and defeat, you know, and defeating the Root and once and for all, preventing their invasion. And it's, but it's not, you know, it's not done in such an obvious you know, in your face kind of way, you know, it's kind of, you know, not a dumbed down lowest common denominator way. It's done with very kind of subtle clues peppered along here and there. And it's just structured so perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, I find it quite curious that I think it was in um, um, it was in a 1983 Doctor Who magazine. I think she, I think Louise Jameson said that she didn't really like this one much because it didn't really give it was too much of Lena's screams and what is it, Doctor, and that sort of thing. But for, you know, I mean, like that bit there, which she gives this lovely beaming smile, you know, uh, with perfect teeth. But she, um, it's just pepper full of great Lena moments in this. So. Um, yeah, I was I was quite surprised, but I think I think the tides turned a bit. I think um, on the commentary, you know, she points out that it is one of the most acclaimed Doctor Who stories that she gets asked about. Um, and I, I think she I think she's more fond of it now. <clears throat> and I, th I think Tom Baker actually he also did an interview with Doctor Who magazine in the following year, nineteen eighty four, and he th I think I remember from what he said, he said some Doctor Who stories like the um, the lighthouse one he quoted it as didn't come off for script reasons so you know I, I guess he wasn't too fond of it either which is which is strange because it's um it gives his doctor some really good material i think i, I don't think it was particularly highly regarded in the 80s it's amazing how much the time has turned with uh horror fan rock there are certain doctor who stories which are kind of you know sort of forgotten about and yet they've kind of been reevaluated in recent years. Enemy of the World is a classic one because, um, you know, that was missing for so long. It was just thought to be, you know, a little bit, a little bit of a dull attempt at a James Bond movie. But these days, I mean, it's it's gone from strength to strength, its reputation. So I do wonder if other stories like maybe The Space Pirates, which isn't, isn't particularly fondly regarded, whether, if, you know, if they do recover the missing episodes, that they actually will like, you know, fans will like that in the future. <clears throat> Excuse me, sore throat, talking non-stop. I'm, I'm actually reviewing this all in one go and then just uploading it in one day. 
Um, yeah, I mean, kudos to Sean Caffrey for actually keeping still while um, Skin Sale actually um, looks for the diamonds. I mean, it's, it's not the easiest thing to do, really. Yeah, we're getting into the uh, the, the end game of, of this story now. All, all very tense and dramatic. Oh, here we go. Bingo, diamonds. And of course, this is uh, this is what causes Skin Sales downfall. Is uh, is greed for the the diamonds. But, uh, <clears throat> I mean, the doctor's absolutely no interest in money and just uh, chucks them away. But I do wonder if. Uh, Maybe he does know that Skin Cell is going to be tempted by the diamonds. I don't know whether he's testing him or whatever, but uh, there he goes. Reverse uh, video disc machine again. And that's them all gone. Yeah. Grim old story, this. <laughs> yeah, the, doc the doctor's face there, you know, he, he does look a little bit kind of, oh, God, what have I done? But of course, he's got to look at the bigger picture. Um, I'm not. I'm not really sure whether it would have worked if Skin Cell had survived. I mean, he'd kind of be. Um, how would he get back? I, I suppose the Doctor would take him in the, the TARDIS and drop him off rather than uh, leave him stranded. Or maybe he could be. Um, maybe he could be a lighthouse keeper for the for the rest of these years. I don't know. It'd probably be a, a bit more. It'd be a. It'd be a way of distancing distancing himself from the uh, the scandal of his political career. That bit. That'd be quite good. Yeah, but the way he says dead with honour very quickly. In the book, it, um, Leela, in the book, I think it says, um, Leela asks the doctor, you know, where is skin cell? And the doctor just says dead. And then Leela asks with honour. And then, and then Terence Sticks writes, the doctor thought of a way that skin cell was left scrabbling for the diamonds. That was no way for a man to die. And then he says very quietly with honour. Um, so yeah, that, that doesn't really come through quite as much in the uh, in the TV version, but it's an, an interesting take on it. <clears throat> um, yeah, the Dead Rootson just looks like um, a bit of cling film with green gunge in it, <laughs> bit of green jelly. I don't, I don't know. But of course, Leela being the warrior, she has to celebrate, you know, sort of gloat over the. The dying Wuton. But you know, that's 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 Leela's way, isn't it? You know. She gets rid of the enemy and she's uh, she's pleased as punch. <clears throat> and that's it for the Ruton. Uh last now reduced to a cling film bag of green jelly, which has been left out in the sun. It's probably been left out in the sun today. It's boiling hot. Here comes the root of mothership, and here comes the bit that um that I missed from the uh the UK Gold VCR uh, uh video cassette VCR. God, what am I talking about? <clears throat> that's that's actually not a bad effect. I mean, it's it's 
very simply done. I mean, it's, it's just a you know sort of a flashing light in the sky, but it 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 looks it looks really good. I, th I think it works really well. Of course, the sun's coming up. It's um it's quite unusual for a story to actually take place in pretty much uh, real time. Um, especially in classic Doctor Who, it usually takes place over a um you know period of days or weeks or whatever. Um, but this one is is pretty much in real time. <clears throat> Miles better than 42, of course. Oh. Yeah, this, this is where the tape went. <laughs> it was just... Uh, and uh, it, it didn't come back until the, uh, the rooting ship had blown up. So uh, I missed this wonderful bit of music from Dudley. Really, really knows how to score it well. <clears throat> of course, they, you know, today, you know, if it was in the... Davis here, you probably get a pompous choir screaming the place down, even over that, you know, that booming noise. Not mentioning any names. Hurry, go! <clears throat> yeah, great bit of music. Does Louise look at the camera there? She looks like she's looking at the camera, but she's just um, put the knife in her boot. You know, she sort of gives this big grin to the camera. Not as bad as when... Um, Martha did the uh, the same thing in the uh, um, Journey's End, is it? Yeah. And, of course, this is where Leela's eyes change colour because she makes the mistake of looking at the um, the exploding mothership. And, of course, she's, uh, do you think she's gone blind? Yeah, th this is where the um, this is where the tape came back from 1997. <clears throat> <laughs> That's a bit extreme, isn't it? I mean, oh, no such thing. Uh, yeah, but apparently, um, yeah, Louise Jameson didn't like the other uh, color contact lenses that they uh, um, they insisted on giving her when she got the job with Wheeler. So, um, Graham Williams. Um, allow them to take it away. Um, yeah, I mean, in those days, you probably would have had like those awful hard contact lenses, which are, which are awful. You know, I mean, soft contact lenses fine, you know, they're quite easy to do. These days, color contact lenses are you know ten a penny really. But in those days, um, I think there was an interview with Louise Jameson who said that it was like looking for a, a sepia lens. Um, and it was probably quite claustrophobic and breathless, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was. Uh, so here we go with the Ballad of Flannan Isle by Wilfred Gibson. You know, I mean, it's just like the Doctor that you know everybody's been bumped off, but onwards to the next adventure. There's no kind of false sorry, I'm so sorry, or you know, oh god, all this, you know fate morning or anything like that it's just onwards and upwards to the next adventure but what an adventure that was oh easily a classic that just went so quickly i watched all this in one go in there but of course the commentary was spread over a few days but yeah one of my all-time favorites an all-time classic um hopefully um it's a classic for some of you as well listening in but uh, yeah, I, I enjoy that greatly, and uh, it's just one of those stories that I never get bored of watching. I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've seen it, but um, I suspect probably more more than he's healthy, I should think. 
But anyway, it's um, it's a classic that just bears repeated viewing and uh, always will, I think. But anyway, that was Horror Fang Rock. Join me for more Perpetual Outsider podcasts in the future. Uh, in the meantime, it's me, John Bensalia, signing off. Thank you for listening in. Bye for now.